Diversity in veterinary medicine is something that we talk about a lot, both here on the Veterinary Viewfinder and within the profession. But this week, we are proud to bring you an exclusive interview with someone who is doing that. This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and diversity, inclusion, and the veterinary profession haven't always been something that has been working for us. And this week, we have a very special guest that I can't wait to bring you, who is out there making a difference, and I just can't wait to get to him. So before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And today's guest, I, I, honestly, I've known for, gosh, about probably five or six years, maybe even longer now, um, because I am always hitting him up, I have to say. <laughs> um, he is one of the most fantastic speakers I've ever heard um, in his area of expertise. So um, Dr. Alan Kennedy is a, the Director of Diversity and Multi Multicultural Affairs at NC State University. Um, but I know him a little bit better as just one of the best uh, ruminant veterinarians I've ever met, engaging speaker, and truly a fan of veterinary technicians. Um, and he walks the walk and he talks the talk. So, um, you know, he has that veterinary background, but he is currently now Director of Diversity and Multicultural Affairs. And he's just a, a, truly a mentor. Um, he takes his students um, from groups that are underrepresented and make sure that they're represented and included in veterinary medicine. And and um, he's just truly a great guy. So I'm excited for his time today. Dr. Kennedy, thank you so much for, for carving some time out for us today to have this really important conversation. No, thank you both, uh, Becky and Ernie. I'm always uh, excited and welcome opportunities to share the information insights that I have, especially when it comes to um, diversity and inclusion issues. So no, uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Well, Dr. Kennedy, before we start talking about what you're doing today, let's rewind the tape of your life and explain to our audience how you became a veterinarian. Well, <laughs> I took an interesting pathway. I was one of those uh, individuals that was, I think, falls into the classification of being somewhat of a late bloomer in the sense that while I was uh, going through uh, my uh, high school education years, I spent more time focusing on uh, loving life and enjoying sports and my friends uh, than I did on my academics. So it wasn't, <laughs> it, it really wasn't until my uh, fourth year or, high, or senior year of high school uh, that I uh, finally uh, decided to uh, consider a pathway into uh, you know, a, a professional level of uh, training that I hadn't thought about before. And it was, I had one of my uh, football coaches actually asked me if I had any interest in going to college on a football scholarship because they had a um, coach from a um, college that had expressed an interest in me that I, I responded. And I said to him, no, I don't have any intentions or plans or desire to even go to college, but thanks for the offer. So um, after working full-time on a dairy farm, 
uh, <laughs> for a year after high school. College that started looking pretty good, business. didn't it? Yeah. It started looking really good because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what it takes in the dairy field, but oh, yeah. you know, that's a never-ending uh, work situation that you know start for me it started at uh, 4 30 in the morning and uh you know usually didn't end until uh, some days uh, after 8 p.m depending on the season so uh, and it's a seven day a week job that most folks don't know dairy cattle you know, they don't get vacations or holidays off so they don't get their birthdays off they got to be milked every day so um it's it was work that quickly made me realize that okay there's another side to life and living and uh, careers that I uh, want to think about doing there. So, but I um, had to initially start my planning, working, uh, pursuing my career dream uh, through my local community college, Germana Community College in Bridgeport, Virginia, where I started going. And I uh, worked uh, on the dairy farm pretty much full time uh, the entire time that I went uh, to Germana. So uh, that gave me you know, a good a uh, sense of time management, work ethic that pretty much need to be successful in vet school. So uh, working full time and still uh, going to school full time between the two of those, I learned time management quite well. Not that I didn't know it from the time right. I worked on a dairy farm, <laughs> but it really I, you know, taught me the balance of uh, how to uh, you do my academics as well as uh, doing uh, the, the work that I needed to do so, to survive. So, Alan, while you're working on a dairy farm, are, is this when you decided that veterinary medicine was the career you wanted to pursue? It was because every time a cow got sick and we had to call a vet in for assistance, I was the one that was usually charged with uh, doing all the follow-up care and uh, treatment. So that really, uh, you know, helped you know um, foster and support my interest and desire to work with the animals. So it was that dairy work that really got me inspired to. Uh, pursue my career in veterinary medicine. Okay, so then you graduate from college and you go on to Tuskegee University and you graduated just a couple of years after me, but now I understand the difference because you were playing football in high school and then milking a bunch of cows <laughs> before you wound up in vet school. So tell yeah, us sure. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your experience at Tuskegee because you know again, it's a fabulous school, uh, but it's very different, you know, than most of the other schools and that probably helps shape what you're doing today. It did, but uh, prior to my getting there, I met my mentor doing my undergraduate training at Virginia State University, where I yeah, completed my undergraduate bachelor's degree in animal science, who was also a Tuskegee alum, and, and uh, his taking me down there to uh, visit Tuskegee and get a chance to meet and see other uh, professionals that look like me uh, was just absolutely amazing and thrilling and something that you know really gave me that much more of a drive to you know, go there and do the things that I did. And Alan, I know, I know you speak a lot about that because it, and I want to, I don't want to derail it just yet, but you know, the fact that you were then exposed while you're an undergrad to a complete, you know, university, quite frankly, a college of people of your color that, that made a profound impact on you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at um, the community college level, I did get a chance to meet some, but not nearly as many, obviously I did in my experience at the uh, Virginia State University experience says uh, it is an HBCU, which you know, maybe some folks know or don't know. Right. Historically um, Black but, uh, College, yeah. 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 So my um, 
advisor there again was the one who had advised me to look at Tuskegee. I was looking at you know, considering staying and going to my home state uh, institution at Virginia Tech. Um, at the time, they didn't have anybody in the program that looked like me, so I was not uh, interested in going to a place where I was going to be the only one. Um, so that was an easy decision for me to uh, do what I did and uh, choosing to head down to uh, Tuskegee. And Alan, can I, let me just, just stick in there just a little bit more. So you said that, hey, look, I'm looking at my options. I'm looking at this university, this veterinary school in my home state, and I don't see anybody like me. So are you starting to say this might be a challenge to you personally? Is this going to make you uncomfortable? Like what, what are those barriers? Because I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast today that maybe want to be veterinarians or future veterinary students, they may be feeling the same way. Well, as they should. I mean, because, you know, again, nobody really ever wants to be only one of their kind in a situation that, you know, we're, we're humans. We all want to be comfortable where we are and uh, have folks that are around us that we can identify with. So I was actually you know, highly recruited by my home state school, Virginia Tech, to uh, consider coming there. But as I, like I said, looked at them and realized that, all right, it was as much of a effort and need for them to have me there as a representative of my color, more so than me there for representing my intelligence um, than anything else. So uh, I, I wanted to go somewhere where I was welcome and wanted for you know, who I am versus what I am and what I look like. So. Uh, like I said, uh, Virginia Tech, I was trying to then to you know, recruit me and uh, make the offers of uh, supporting me through scholarships that they did to come, but it was worth it for me to spend the money and do the things that I needed to do to be uh, at a place where I was going to have uh, full support and know that I was wanted and welcome for you know, all of who I am without that you know, question in mind. So, Dr. Kennedy, I don't want to, like, you know, I guess my question for you here, though, before before we go too far, because, like, again, I don't want to like, pick apart your life experience, but I, I guess I'm wondering for you, did did this realization that the veterinary population wasn't, um, you know, wasn't very diverse? Was that something you found out after you decided it's something you wanted to do? Um, because it sounds to me, you know, like you didn't have as much experience or like that lifelong yearning to be a veterinarian like so many people in the industry. So I'm just kind of curious of like, did you decide you wanted to do this, got into it and realized, oof, uh, there's not a whole lot of people like me or like anybody but one particular type here. <laughs> and and was that a realization later for you? Well, I mean, I, it was it was truly later because I did not realize that there weren't uh, many uh, individuals in the veterinary profession that looked like me until I finally met the very first person that did look like me. And that was during my experience as an undergrad really at yeah. Virginia State University. So uh, up until then, yeah, the uh, veterinarian that had worked with me was male. Um, he was a uh, white Native American male um, that you know, was a great role model that was uh, very supportive and inspired of me to go forward uh, with my plans. But again, it wasn't until, like I said, I got the real look and experience uh, through my visit uh, to Virginia Tech and didn't see anybody there at all that looked like me. And then uh, finally getting a chance to meet uh, my ultimate mentor that was responsible for getting me into uh, veterinary college at Tuskegee. Uh, 
Virginia State University, Dr. Oscar Bird. Um, so he took a group of us down to Tuskegee that uh, were interested in veterinary medicine to a visit during their annual veterinary symposium. And that's where I got my first real infusion of, wow, okay, there okay. are a, a lot of other uh, uh, folks out there that identify with that really I uh, want to do the same thing that I want to do and have the same uh, goals. So this yeah, it was an almost automatic for me that that was the place for me to go. So um, I guess my my follow up question to that is, as um, you know, the director of diversity and inclusion at NC State, do you find that's the case for a lot of students? Like they have this passion for animals and it's not until afterwards they find out that, you know, there aren't a lot of folks in, in the program that look like them and, and kind of have a shock factor. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, especially for students, a lot of them that I mentor today that uh, get a chance to meet me and uh, ride with me and experience uh, the things that I do in the veterinary profession through my clinical private practice that I have uh, when they do start applying and looking at the various veterinary colleges, they're asking the questions, the wise questions of, you know, what is it uh, about the places that I, uh, you know, know about and chose and why did I choose to go to Tuskegee that made me uh, feel that it was the right place. So they're looking at the different schools that they're considering applying to now and uh, asking those smart questions of you know, how many others are there that, you know, are going to be uh, similar to them that are there at their institutions that they're thinking about going to. And also weighing, of course, one of the big factors that, um, or that, that pretty much discouraged a lot of uh, individuals of all groups from considering going to depression. Now, how much is going to cost them? So mm -hmm. the great thing about where um, I am at NC State University is that uh, we do have uh, me there in the position that I hold as uh, the Director for Diversity and Multicultural Affairs working towards trying to increase and improve diversity and inclusion at our institution, as well as the fact that we do have, you know, the lowest uh, veterinary tuition of all the veterinary colleges here in the United States. So uh, those uh, things kind of combined, there are, are an excellent uh, opportunity for anybody, but especially underrepresented minority students that are interested in the veterinary profession, because that, that uh, is real, and that is one of the things that is uh, quite discouraging, as I mentioned, for individuals that want to go into the profession of med. Yep, and Alan, I do want to touch back on the uh, the cost barrier, but there's another excuse, and I'm going to use that word deliberately here, that organizations like the AVMA others use whenever you bring up these topics, and you and I have been on these committees and in these meetings, and and over and over again, when people bring up the lack of diversity in our profession, you hear officials say this, they're not applying. Ernie, if they were applying, we'd let them in. But what you're also saying here today is, hey, listen, these kids, these talented, capable, competent, caring individuals of color aren't necessarily applying because they don't see anybody like them. I mean, is, is that part of the problem? The reason that we don't have as much diversity is because they aren't applying because they look around and they go, there's nobody like me. Absolutely. And, you know, when places make those comments, they make those comments without 
complete justification of owning those comets. And uh, the sense that if uh, they really want individuals from underrepresented backgrounds, especially to apply to their places, they need to go out and invite them to apply. And right. you don't just right. you know, advertise something and say, here, apply. It, you know, you gotta make uh, something appealing enough for uh, especially individuals from underrepresented backgrounds to consider uh, applying to those places. Hey, I'm not gonna you know, just go out and you know get a pizza because somebody says it's free. Hey, if it's a uh, pizza that tastes like crap, I don't want it. <laughs> I mean, That's a great. I love that it. analogy. So, That's right. It's crappy better. pizza. They're offering <laughs> crappy pizza to people of color. Yeah, you you better give me something that's gonna um, it'll be an incentive for me to you know take my time, um, energy, and nothing is really free in school anyway. Virtually, you know, everything has a cost. So it's a really good um, point. It better be worth that time, effort, and cost that it's gonna take me to go there to get uh, what I'm getting. And if it's gonna come with some level of discomfort, uh, mistrust, I, and even in some cases abuse. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. interested. In and that's what I can tell you from our very smart, um, intelligent uh, students that are looking at programs today are looking and thinking and saying, you know, what's what's the uh, catch here? You know, if you're telling <laughs> right. me, you know, if you're telling me these things, it's uh, sounding too good to be true. It must not be true. And they're doing their homework. They're asking. They're talking with uh, other students. They have their media platforms that they're yeah. using these days are beyond my comprehension in many ways, but they know how to use them. They know how to uh, communicate with each other to get the facts that they need to have before they uh, take those leaps uh, into these uh, uh, pools that sometimes are, in essence, going to be cesspools for you know, hindering them from being successful. Yeah, and I mean, we do it with football players, right? <laughs> we we do it for athletes. There's no reason we can't do it for all underrepresented communities. Um, so I guess it's a good segue, Dr. Kennedy, really to what can we do, right? Because we hear about this, and this is inclusion in school, but we're also being criticized in our clinics, in our you know um, programs that we we truly don't have diversity in the clinics. And and some of what you're saying, it's like so hard because you're right. It's like it's like almost chicken or the egg. And we need the universities, we need the high schools, we need the education systems to go out there and to let people know it's an option and to pave the way. But how can we in the industry really support diversity, really support inclusion, bring it to our practices and our communities? Well, we got to do what you, you initially started out and complimenting me on, and uh, you're doing what needs to be done, which is, you know, not just uh, talking and talk, but walk and walk and doing yeah. those things that we're talking about instead of uh, just talking about them. Uh, in a sense, if we are really, and especially in industry, uh, going to uh, welcome and bring in individuals from diverse backgrounds, we better have some support net there to accommodate the needs for these individuals that we're inviting into our communities into our culture now that culture has got to be uh, ready for them i can tell you we made some mistakes in our efforts to increase our diversity and inclusion initially at nc state's veterinary college and that we invited a um, large group of underrepresented uh, students uh, to come and our community and culture wasn't ready for them we were not 
prepared appropriately to understand uh, and accept the differences that were coming with these individuals that we're inviting into our community. And there was some major backlash as a result of that. So if uh, groups, organizations, um, the industry uh, wants to really do this, they need to do it right. And doing it right does include investing in educating the people that are already there within that community first and foremost so that uh, they don't expect people to just come in and assimilate to who they are. Uh, they're going to invite people with different backgrounds, cultures, uh, races, and ethnicities. They need to be ready to accept them for who they are and support them uh, so that they can be successful in those communities that they're uh, being asked to come into. Well, Alan, I want to reach back to a comment you made earlier, and that is about cost. And I think that that is a significant barrier for many people of color because we know that the poverty rate with black communities is dramatically more than in many white urban, suburban communities. So what what can a university do to help encourage, again, highly intelligent, capable, competent, caring individuals of color who want to be a veterinarian? I mean, is there a, is there a place here to use economic incentives is i mean is that something that you think about or is or is that something that we should just say well that's part of it but it's not a major part well it is i mean and it is a major part in many ways uh, because of things that you just shared i mean we know that there's always been some uh you know financial health um you know academic disparities that are certainly not where they should be a bigger piece of it too as uh, the connection there that we know that there are barriers that most organizations, whether academic um, and you know industry, uh, whatever, have imposed to primarily keep things more restrictive or exclusive. So looking at the rules, looking at the regulations, looking at the requirements, things that we uh, set as those barriers for access to get opportunity to uh, attend and participate in um, various activities, whether it's your veterinary college or any other life you know, um, structure or the organization issue. We need to reevaluate and reassess what are those uh, barriers that are uh, inhibiting, again, these underrepresented groups that we're claiming that we want to have you know, join our organizations. So if it's one that's you know, connected with some level of a financial issue, you know, provide things like you're talking about here now, we're talking about in scholarships, provide things like support for, you know, if you're gonna say somebody has to take a standardized test, you know, provide um, an opportunity for uh, some relief of the costs associated with that, especially if we know that it is a primary barrier that's gonna keep an individual from doing so. Um, do things like if you're, uh, for example, in veterinary medicine, we require that our, uh, our students have a set amount of contact time under the supervision of the veterinarian before they can even qualify to get into some uh, veterinary schools. I know that, again, <laughs> that these things that we're talking about right now are barriers that are going to uh, restrict the uh, amount of opportunities that underrepresented populations may have to get that you know, from uh, these, uh, you know, individuals are just not going to be able to go out and volunteer the way that uh, someone that could afford to to 
uh, get these kind of back times. So provide them with a, some form of an access uh, for a, a grant that may uh, provide them the resources to be able to afford to go out and get these experiences. Uh, so those are the types of things that, again, we need to really look at policies, uh, look at various procedures that are in place that are uh, truly inhibiting these individuals, like I said, that otherwise are very capable and uh, competent and uh, able to be successful so that they can get a chance to get there and uh, prove their abilities. And Alan, just let me jump on there real quick, because this is real world challenges. And I, I want to share a quick little story that happened to me several years ago when I was in practice. And uh, a young man, young black man, contacted me sort of out of the blue and said, listen, I'm I'm having trouble getting my hours. So this the university he was applying to required so many hours of volunteering at a vet clinic. And, you know, during the course of our correspondence, it basically turned out to be several barriers. A, he didn't have a car. B, he, the closest vet, which he did say was all white, which really wasn't material to this discussion, but, you know, it was like 40 minutes away from where he lived. And so he couldn't get there. The people were really, he said, reluctant to accept him, but they would willingly or begrudgingly do it. You know, I mean, so all of those things start to stack up, right? And that's, that's leaning you against doing this, right? You, at some point, you know, Alan, when do, do people of color just say, enough, guys, I'm going to go do something else? Well, and that's what most of the time, uh, these uh, situations where you end up missing that uh, individual that had that passion to do it, ends up going. You just know, wear because, them down. Uh, you know, we'll go to the, let's go to the human side, you know, because they don't require all this, uh, these barriers that the veterinary profession are throwing out as far as qualifications to get into into a program. So I'll do something that's going to, you know, accept me for what it is that I'm able to provide. And, uh, you know, go double my salary in some right, cases right. instead. But they're not necessarily doing something that they ultimately, you know, had a passion and a dream of doing. Yeah, we just so, ki yeah. we kill the joy. We kill the joy. Yeah, we do. And, you know, I was on a task force with our American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges many years ago that looked at uh, some of um, these barriers that we're talking about now. And one of the most sad ones that we found was that we as a profession tend to be our own worst enemy in many ways when it comes to uh, recruiting, inspiring, and encouraging uh, young individuals that want to be veterinarians from doing it. And a lot of it's just by us that are in the profession, and I'll put myself in that generation now that I uh, had to go through a lot of those hoops and um, break and cross those barriers that existed then that we're trying to, and I say we're trying to, there are some veterinary schools that are looking at these policies and the things that are uh, barriers for keeping, uh, again, underrepresented uh, populations from having appropriate access to the profession. And trying to change them. So, but again, a lot of our older generation of uh, veterinarians are still thinking and saying to individuals that have that passion and that want to do it that no, you'll you'll never get there because unless you have little ways and you're able to, you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? You're right. not going to get into vet school. So, and that's really. Like I said, not the case with all places now. I mean, we're trying to, at North Carolina State University now, build a class of diverse individuals that are going to meet the future needs of the veterinary profession. And 
the only way that we know that that's going to be able to actually happen is for us to you know, look uh, beyond just grades and look beyond just individuals that have had thousands of hours of uh, experience working under the supervision of veterinarians and realize that veterinarians today or the students today that are in the profession of veterinary medicine, they want to do things that we haven't thought about yet that veterinarians can and should be doing. You know, those uh, things that are you know, uh, sending veterinarians into space where we've been going for, for quite a bit while now, and things that are, you know, having veterinarians, you know, serve for airlines as, uh, you know, tending uh, practitioners to deal with uh, the cases that we know that people are just flying with their pets so quite often now these days. Uh, looking at veterinarians that are willing to go work with, uh, you know, the um, architects and the engineers that are coming up with the different uh, ways to improve the medical services that we're uh, delivering these days. So when I talk to especially underrepresented students that I work with and uh, try to support in their dreams of becoming veterinarians, I try to do my best to get them to think outside of the box of what they see and uh, hear us doing in what we call our normal fields and areas of the veterinary profession now. And try to do some things that are exceeding what it is that I'm doing and that you're doing so that again they can you know find more creative better ways to address and meet the needs of our profession. So I guess I have two things I want to ask you. So number one, first of all, when we're talking about underrepresented, you know, populations, we are not just talking about people of color, right? We're talking about orientation. We're talking about uh, you know, all types of differences in individuals. And so we, we want to make sure that when we talk about underrepresentation, we know this is not just about color, um, but so many other things. And I guess Absolutely. My, my question around that, right, is like, how do we, you, you mentioned, right, like a while ago in the beginning, you talked a little bit about how you didn't necessarily want to go to Virginia Tech for, you know, what you are as much as who you are and, and what you're made of in your education. How do we make sure when we're in management, when we're in practice, when we are looking to include diversity, we don't lean to that as the priority, right? Like if I'm looking at four applications and I know that one of them brings diversity, but one that doesn't bring diversity might have more experience or more skill. Um, I feel like there's almost like a guilt, I guess, especially as a, a privileged individual, um, other than I'm not male, um, is like, how can we lead this decision-making process in the right way? Does that make any sense? Do I making sense here? Well, yeah, sure. And you're making sense because of the things that you're sort of including in your, your question here that make clear sense to me in that, you know, as we look to fill voids, positions that uh, we need to have filled in the various uh, situations that exist, whether it's in a veterinary practice, whether it's in an industry position, we have a set of needs that have to be met. And we need to be asking ourselves a question, all right, do, does the applicant pool that you have uh, targeted, number one, provide what it is that you need um, as your top priority to fill those voids? If your top priority for filling that void is, you know, having somebody that can you know, neuter a cat in 
you know, 10 minutes. I'm like, I'll spay a cat. Most guys can leave a cat and see the days in probably two minutes. <laughs> Not me, though, because I haven't touched one in over, you know, <laughs> over 25 years. Uh, so, but if, if that skill set that you need to accomplish uh, the task at hand can be also filled by, if it can be filled by somebody that's bringing that added plus of, okay, uh, you know, a gender, um, a bit of gender diversity, a bit of uh, racial diversity, a bit of ethnic diversity. They can bring that, you know, multilingual uh, benefit to your uh, scenario. That's a win-win any way you look at it. Now, if it's somebody that, like I initially said, that you need to have that can spay that cat or neuter that cat in, you know, 10 minutes or less, and that individual that uh, may be your second choice is your second choice, but it takes them an extra two minutes to do it, but they're bringing you that uh, benefit of some added diversity in other areas, you really need to be thinking outside the box here. Right? That, that, that extra two-minute time that's going to take that person to do that work and do that job uh, going to be overcome by the other added benefits of you know, having you know, an added language that they can add to your practice or your business situation um, is, you know, bringing some of those other attributes that diversity and inclusion and, you know, the diversity of thought and thinking uh, would add to your team. <laughs> That's where, you know, you, you look at that uh, trade and you say, all right, this is uh, something that, you know, has uh, a value that I can add to my team that's going to ultimately make us all better. And, 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 and you, you add those things and you consider those things when you're making those selections of uh, the individuals that you bring to your team. But at the same time, I will go back to my point of, you know, earlier uh, mentioning that if you're going to be going outside the box and bringing in uh, individuals that are different from uh, the current setup that you have, you need to know and be ready to support those folks. Uh, don't just bring them in just for that sake of uh, what that difference is that they're bringing, but bring them in for the other attributes that they're going to also add and be ready to accept them for who they are and support them for what it is that they're going to need to be successful. And Alan, I think you just brilliantly described exactly what it means to be a good ally, to help people like you get ahead and actually get equal treatment. I mean, it's going to take those small, brave acts, right? To look at those four resumes that Becky described and say, hey, here's an opportunity to increase diversity and be inclusive in my workplace. Alan, it's those little brave acts that's that are going to make the difference, right? I mean, without those people making these millions of decisions, this really doesn't go anywhere. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, with uh, time, with uh, practice, who knows, that individual may be the one that, you know, uh, starts uh, getting that cat uh, spayed and Oh, oh, I'm sure of that. I am sure of that. <laughs> you did mention like learning and, and knowing how to support underrepresented folks. Um, in our in our clinics, what resources do we have to learn to do that better? Yeah, so as far as uh, clinic uh, resources, if you're specifically talking about um, you know knowing uh, what's going to be needed to support individuals that are coming in for maybe different uh, school training uh, type programs, uh, 
I, I would say really knowing and speaking with, uh, I know a resource that we have at our College of Veterinary Medicine is our, our career development, um, Director for Career Development, I think is the title, um, is Amanda Bates. But uh, having contacts and connections with folks at the different veterinary colleges that know the skill sets that our uh, students, especially underrepresented students, have that they're looking for, and you know, also have some level of familiarity as to you know what it is. And if it's something that's as basic as okay, some one of our uh, female students that may need a, a certain type of access to uh, you know um, equipment or tools that they may need to work if they have long hair or dreadlocks, for example, um, if they're coming into a practice that's never worked with someone. Uh, with uh, this sort of background. So uh, providing, I guess, some an understanding of, um, I guess, this needs based on just culture, uh, ethnicity, those things can come from, again, uh, individuals that know specific individuals. Uh, now, if you're looking for just an overall uh, sort of appreciation I'd say really, uh, if you're looking for understanding awareness of different cultures uh, that you may be bringing in, that's where that uh, just I mean, public library information. Just open your eyes, folks. Yeah, what we do is uh, we provide our community with what we call cultural awareness modules. Becky, I think that's what you may have also been alluding to and yeah. that we bring in. Uh, individuals from our community that are members of these different uh, uh, groups that we're highlighting. Uh, if we're talking about, uh, for example, uh, Native American culture, we're going to bring someone in from Native American community that walks that walk, lives that life, that can share with us uh, their background information about their group and uh, culture that we're, we're asking information on not from somebody who's maybe visited or stayed uh, in a community for a short while, but it's gonna always be somebody that's an authentic uh, member of that group so that we're getting firsthand knowledge and information versus secondhand experiential information that's not always gonna be the best representation or uh, provide most accuracy. That makes sense. Okay, my last question for you, Dr. Kennedy, settle a debate between Dr. Ernie and I Tattoos, colored hair, what, what's the verdict? Verdict uh, from what perspective? <laughs> yeah. Do we allow it in our clinics? Do we consider that diversity or do we say uh, restrictions and rules around it? I'd call it diversity and um, welcome diversity in every form that I can get it from the standpoint as long as it does not interfere with the ability of the individual to do the job that you've asked them to come in and do. So we both I'm win, the- Becky. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. I'm calling it a Becky win. I'm calling that <laughs> You a don't draw. allow purple hair. I'm calling that a draw. <laughs> you finders, what do you think? We want to hear where you stand you finders, you know who to vote for. You've heard this debate. Oh, <laughs> you man. Can, as long as it you doesn't can find in- us on Facebook. As long as it does not interfere, Dr. Kennedy and I are right on with that. But anyway, we want to thank you again for your time, your expertise, and the efforts that you are making. If you want to find out more, check him out at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Alan Kennedy, Director of Diversity and Multicultural 
I mean, he's amazing. So thank you guys so much out there. Viewfinders, let us know how you are including people of color and diversity in your clinics. What are the challenges? What are the successes? We really want to hear from you. That's right. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. And um, if you need a, a ruminant lecture, Dr. Kennedy is your guy. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Stay safe. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you all. Bye-bye. That was fantastic.